Hello and welcome to the Into the Desert podcast, where we talk to inspiring people and hear their stories of motivation, courage, drive, productivity, and how their environment has dictated their performance. Today's special guest is the founder of MotherTree, the UK's first and only carbon calculator for your money. MotherTree helps busy, climate-conscious professionals go green and save money on all life's choices. Before launching MotherTree, our guest was, the found, was on the founding team of Look After My Bills, Y Combinator Banks, and the best ever deal on Dragon's Den. Dan Sherrod-Smith, how are you? Great to have you. Freddie, great to be here. I'm very, very well, thanks. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I'd love to hear a bit more about, uh, you know, MotherTree, just to go straight into it. A big question. What, what is MotherTree? I've, I've glossed over it slightly there, but I'd love to hear a bit more. Yeah, cool. So MotherTree is, uh, I'm pretty sure, the UK's first and only carbon calculator for your money. So in a little bit like how you have a lifestyle carbon footprint, uh, we produce carbon for what we eat and uh, how we travel. Our money also has a carbon footprint, and actually it's really significant. So the average UK consumer produces about 10 tonnes from their lifestyle carbon footprint. It's about the same from what they choose to do with their money. So Mother Tree looks at the carbon impact of your bank and your pension. What that means is if you have let's say £5,000 in a current account with Barclays, that equates to about a tonne and a half of carbon per year. That's because Barclays are investing pretty heavily in fossil fuels. Uh, and just to give you sort of one stat on that, uh, the big banks in the UK, so Barclays, HSBC, the kind of five big banks, invest 50 times more into fossil fuel expansion than the fossil fuel companies themselves. And so where our money goes really matters. And if you think, okay, well, that's, that money is going to fossil fuel, actually, we can also create a society that we really want, that we kind of can thrive in. And so we can start to move that money to banks who are actively investing in uh, sustainable sources, in green energy and affordable housing. Uh, so suddenly this, this becomes not only a carbon footprint debate, but also a kind of we are empowered to create the society we want. And that's what Mother Tree is all about. That's so interesting, Dan. So why do you think this is an issue that we don't hear about as much in the, the common news, as much as other sustainability issues? Uh, it's a really great question. I think the awareness is just starting to happen. So we've seen um, organisations like Make My Money Matter start to really put some money behind building the awareness here. Make My Money Matter is run by the uh, Richard Curtis, the director of Four Weddings and uh, Love Actually, yeah. And there's just this kind of awakening in the last couple of years that our money has as much impact as our other lifestyle choices. And actually anybody who's got an account and a pension and or a pension has skin in this game. Yeah. Uh, how incredible. So how did you get into this? How did you get into that as a, as a problem you wanted to solve? Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. There's a, kind of, there's a long answer and a short answer. So I'll try and give you the, the shorter version. Basically, I've been a kind of entrepreneur without fully realizing it for about for about 10 years now. Like I started launching uh, energy companies for over energy uh, 10 years ago and just loved that kind of entrepreneurial piece is answering big questions. Do customers like this? How do you drive revenue? But wasn't really feeling fulfilled by that. Left to start a social business called Good Company, which connected volunteers with the elderly through that process, really realized one of the main things we can do is have purpose in our life. I, I kind of sat down with this 95 year old while researching that company and he had so much energy 
in so much lust for life. And I, and I asked him, what's his secret? And he said, I have purpose. I help people. Every day I help people. And that was, that was him. And, you know, 95 years old, he had way more energy than me. Uh, wow. And so I was like, okay, well, this is, this is clearly important. Wasn't feeling very fulfilled by solving loneliness at all. Uh, and actually ended up closing that, that we became a charity, closing that charity down and, and giving 95% of the funding back, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, wow. uh, but the, I'm a big believer that we learn the most through our failures. And that was definitely one of the places I learned, you know, the most and was hugely formative in, in what I did. Uh, and then was headhunted to look after my bills. So I was on the founding team there. And I think they like, they were already running a company called The Big Deal. They had the idea to auto switch people's energy. And I think that they liked my sort of entrepreneurial and energy background. I ran that on my own for six months. We got into Y Combinator. That was just a huge success story. Dragon's Den backed um, and successfully exited to go compare a couple of years ago. And that basically gave me the chance to think, what do I really want to do with my next couple of years? And I knew that was to do with playing my part in tackling the climate crisis for two reasons. One, and they're kind of cliche, but I think there's truth in some of the cliches we have. One is I've got a two-year-old son, and I know that one day he's going to he's going to ask me what did I do when I realized the extent of this problem, and I want to be able to tell him I did everything I could with the skills that I had. And the second is when I started researching this, and it's a research that's been going on for 10 years, but really focused in the last three, I kind of realized the climate crisis is the biggest challenge humanity's ever faced. And I'm excited by that. I'm empowered by that because ultimately we're a species of problem solvers and I get to work on the biggest problem there's ever been. You know, some generations get war, some get to go to the moon. We get the biggest challenge ever. And I am bang up for that every single day. So that's, that's kind of what led me to uh, this space. And then tangibly what led me to launch Mother Tree, well, I just started listening to people. Started interviewing uh, people in their homes on Zoom, hearing about how they were going to, how they were living sustainably or not, and the challenges around that, and then launched something called the Climate Challenge, which was mm. basically groups of about eight people who take on different tasks to discover ways to live more sustainably. One of the, you know, we went vegan for the day, we got rid of single-use plastic, and one of those tasks was to look at what was happening with our money. And on that task, people really started to take notice, me included. 2% of my pension was being invested in oil and gas, and 1% in weapons, 1% in tobacco, just stuff that I'd never give money to. And yet every month, some of my money was going to those places. Uh, and very similar story for the others on the climate challenge. And we started switching. We moved our, our money and I thought, well, there's something really interesting here. How can I uh, help others do that? That's really interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. I've had to make some notes. So I don't want to miss any of the, the golden nuggets you've put in there. I want to throw you back to one of the first you said about um, you know, working on the Look After My Bills team. So that's one for our UK view of listeners that, you know, a lot of us are very aware of Look After My Bills, a massive company. It was, um, like we said earlier, the best ever deal on Dragon's Den. And, you know, you were there, you were in, you were in the engine room leading that forward. Um, I looked at them, what was that like? What was it like to work on that kind of system and have that sort of success so quickly? It was, it was an amazing experience. So the first six months was, uh, pretty much just me, the founders, and they, they had two employees back then, two founders. They were all focused on the original business, the big deal. So I, and I had this, they had this idea for auto switching. I, um, the first 300 customers had my mobile number. I was basically switching people manually through spreadsheets and on, on energy websites, just super classic sellotape startup stuff. 
And, you know, anything that went wrong, customers would call me night and day. And I loved it because you just hear all of the, all of the rubbish and working on my language there, all of the rubbish that goes on in terms of the customer experience. And we have to put it right. And after six months, we kind of knew enough about what that process took to start to code it. So then worked with the, uh, worked with the one engineer to code it up, set the processes and that's, and then the two founders got us into Y Combinator. They're brilliant at that kind of making that stuff happen. Y Combinator really helped in terms of that, that tech input, opening mm-hmm. doors for a bit more funding. And then a year into launching, look after my bills, we went on Dragon's Den and went from 10,000 customers to 50,000 customers overnight, which was just completely crazy. We spent the next six weeks just trying to cover the customer service. Everybody was on the phones. It was nuts. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we kind of, kind of went from there, really. So you've got a lot of experience there in, in sort of getting investment and taking things forward. I can't remember which dragon you had. Was it more than one dragon? Yeah, we took two in the end. We took Jenny Campbell and Ted Schlavani. Wow, okay. So what was it like working with those, those people? Very successful entrepreneurs with a lot of experience. Yeah, both, both brilliant, both super-duper helpful. I mean, Jenny, Jenny did some adverts with us. We went to Jenny's son's uh, pub for one of our parties. She was just super duper generous. Uh, yeah, they're, they're great. And I think like most angels, they kind of get, you're looking for a combination of support, but also just let us get on with the job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, there's a balance to it. If an angel is too sort of hands-on, then it becomes quite restrictive because ultimately the founders and the people working there know, know best where you're headed, but equally you they know a hell of a lot and you want that advice, right? You want to learn from, from the best. So it was really, really helpful. Yeah. Totally. And if they've got skin in the game, they're going to help you all the more, aren't they? That's, that's so interesting. And this is sort of almost how we connected, isn't it? Because I used to work for one of the companies that acquired look after my bills and go compare subsequently. Um, so there's a really interesting combination to, you know, seen almost behind the scenes of, of how that product works. And it's, it's really interesting to then see how you're able to do something very similar not quite the same, but similar in terms of the, the, the mission with, with Mother Tree. And I presume you're going through investment phases with this as, as people get more and more interested. Yeah, so we've just raised uh, 358K. Uh, it's our first, first raise. So we set out to do that in October. We, we actually hit our original target of 300 by the start of December. Super quick. I mean, I was expecting to still be raising for that target now. Um, but yeah, we just hit it super early and yeah, it is really based on the same lessons. So the lessons we learn at Look After My Bill is how do you switch customers consistently, accurately? We want to apply that to how do you help people switch to a sustainable life, but also save money. And we mm. get that's a really important consideration. So we, we cover both. Um, and yeah, the, the raise is entirely angel invested to date, uh, but just some brilliant angels on board. So both the founders of Look After My Bills, we've got the... Um, CEO of Octopus EV, uh, ex-CEO of Zoopla, just some really, really amazing uh, angels on board. Um, yeah, yeah really happy with that. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. But, you know, you can see it's only going to go one way, this company. You've got a great mission and you've got a great team behind you, you know, and you yourself. Um, so, so what I'd like to ask is what, is, what is the thing that people struggle with most when they're going green? You know, what, is it just the awareness or is it the actual changing? There's not enough options. Where do you see the problem? So the, the first thing that comes into play is something, uh, I call fog. So it's F O G. So F is frustration. There's this frustration that 
um, politicians, big business aren't doing enough, that they're not being held to account and frustration that ultimately it's like, I have to do something about that. Therefore, there's a frustrating feeling on that part. Second is overwhelm. It's kind of an acceptance. Okay, I have to do something about it. What can I do about it? Well, it's really overwhelming in terms of the options out there. How do I know if someone's greenwashing or not? Well, I, heard, I literally was on a call this morning where, where a customer was telling me how she goes down sort of rabbit holes on the internet, trying to research things, and suddenly an hour has gone and she still doesn't know the answer. Uh, so it's real overwhelm in terms of all of that information. How do you cut through that information? And then the G of fog is guilt. And there's a feeling of not being green enough guilt. Uh, and it's a sense of, I could be doing more, but actually, you know, life's busy. Things get in the way. The, the person I was talking to this morning, she's a, she's a founder, she's got a kid, she's got to put food on the table. There are other really important considerations. And, you know, she also said, and at the same time, the world's on fire. I want to, I want to do my part. So those are the really sort of big blockers. And what we do is we sort of work with customers. Uh, we've got a service called the Green Living Service. We work with customers on those particular things to move them to a place where it's really easy to live a green lifestyle, but within within their current lifestyle. You know, you don't have to go off, off grid and eat turnips to actually have a tangible impact in terms of carbon and money saving. I think it's it's so interesting. You know, we're based in Dubai currently, and you know, we do we try to do a lot of work with things like. Uh, corporate wellness and, and trying to make an impact in employees' lives. And I think there is, in a similar vein as greenwashing, there's a lot of box ticking, where as long as they've got mm. something on the books, they can tell, you know, show to investors or show to new talent or whatever it might be. It's almost like it doesn't matter too much. So cutting through that and trying to find people that have a genuine or, or helping people see the genuine problem and how you can solve it fairly simply and, and without spending too much time or money to do so. I think it's a it's a great mission and it's so um it's so apt for the the greater path we're trying to take isn't it just ultimately save save the climate yeah exactly i kind of think of it as save time save money save the planet exactly yeah i saw recently that the ozone layer is healing itself right have you seen that yeah what a magnificent like that's genuinely such an uplifting story because it shows if, if we just get enough people on board for the real crucial problems, we can turn it around. That's why I'm really excited to like get to work on this on this problem. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I want to jump into some some sort of more businessy topics because you've got a lot of experience in business. You, you like you said yourself, you're an entrepreneur. You've always worked in businesses as well, though, as a very entrepreneurial person. And I'd like to know what are some of the, the small problems and issues you see in the kinds of startups and companies you've you've driven. Um, that slow their growth and how do we overcome that kind of thing? Yeah, the, the main thing for me is, is culture and how do you, how do you get a culture of people who can execute, understand whether something's working or not, but keep in mind the big mission It's really easy to end up just executing and just doing lots of stuff, but actually doesn't move forward the mission. Uh, and you get a lot of people who want to sort of do lots of strategy. You need a bit of strategy, but not lots at the start. You just need to get directionally correct. And so setting that culture and ultimately for me, that comes down to, you know, we do what we say we're going to do. And yeah, people have long, long to do lists. We have to be ruthless about what we're actually going to spend time on, on those to do lists. And then once we agree, it's that we get that done. Mm. 
And then the, the other part I'd add in is data, which is okay. When we get it done, we track, we track everything. And I have this like big old spreadsheet every week. I'm sort of tracking every single metric. Uh, and I, you know, I actually quite enjoy it early on a Monday, just get that done. Cause you can see everything that's going on in the business and therefore understand, okay, do we need to tweak it or do we need to make a big leap? And, and, you know, at a startup level, often it's just taking those big leaps, those big, like, and what do you think of this to the customer? What about this? And you're just kind of getting a steer. Okay. This is where we can have genuine customer impact. It's that, that constant feedback loop, right? Just trying to learn as much as you can implement and then learn. That's so, so important. And so you're, exactly. you've led really nicely onto productivity. So you do your spreadsheet on a, on a Monday morning, but how do you keep yourself productive? What are your, your tips and habits to try and keep yourself you know, accountable to the business and obviously now the investors. Yeah, I think this is, this is definitely a journey. Like I can't sit here and claim that I've got the answer. Um, definitely not. I think first is every Sunday night, I plan my week ahead. So I'm looking at where am I spending my time? Is that really the most important thing for the business? Does that ultimately drive value for the customer? And if it isn't like, I really have to, challenge myself whether to keep that in the diary or not. Then every single day in the morning, I plan my day. Nice. <laughs> so it only takes 10 minutes, but it's like, it gets written out, have a paper diary. I'm a, I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to that, <laughs> but it just works for me. So you can really see it. It's real. You kind of connected to it. And that helps me sort of day by day, make sure I'm still on, on plan. What I'm learning is I have to build in breaks. Mm. So it's really easy. I mean, there's a lot to do. So it's really easy to sort of veer into that burnout phase. So it's like, I have to consciously build in five to 10 minute breaks throughout the day. Uh, and then the other thing is, is exercise and meditation. So I, tr I can't say I meditate every day, but I definitely try to I probably average four a week and exercise, you know, cardio and workout. Uh, ideally, in a, ideally in a social setting, I find it pretty hard to do that stuff alone. But if there's a team around me, then, then I'm more than happy to, to get stuck in. So I think it's those kind of regular planning, you know, decent breaks, decent exercise, uh, and yeah, a bit of meditation. That's, I think that's really cool. And the whole, the whole wellness piece to that, that you finished on there with you know, exercise, getting out and about, and the social side as well. I think a lot of people are now, you know, post-COVID and we're not a lot of us are not in offices as regularly as you used to be. We sort of miss that interaction and we forget that the commute also included a few thousand steps perhaps. And, you know, you might get lunch and you miss the meals as well. And it's very easy to sort of snowball out of control, isn't it? And go towards that sort of burnout phase. Yeah, it definitely snuck up on me in COVID, those things during COVID lockdown. But it, it, and it's one of those things that I'm realizing you have to sort of be very conscious about. So one thing I'm trialing at the moment is every day tracking those kind of actions. Like I do with the business actions. I'm like, well, let's track, let's track meditation. Let's track exercise. And I think it's in, in dent that I learned this, but the things that get tracked, get managed. So I'm like, well, why not apply that to the personal life as well? That's, that's nice. That's really clever. I think yeah, people can learn from that, can't they? Cause they say I'm going to do 10,000 steps a day. And you ask them how many they've done and they, they say, I didn't know, I didn't track it. I've done about half an hour. And it's one of those things, I completely agree. I think it's a really good thing to, to sort of track and look after yourself first. Um, I, I want to touch on marketing for you. So, so this is one of these problems where, you know, maybe it's not that easy to speak about. It's not that, it doesn't come up that often, the climate crisis. Sometimes it does, 
some of it doesn't, depends where you follow, depends where your news is coming from, perhaps. How do you feel is the, is the best use of your time to market this business and to, to get the, the, the sort of message out there? So there's a couple of things to unpack there. One is what kind of message do we lead on? Mm. And, we're, and we're learning about that. So, so my original hypothesis was about let's just reduce carbon. That's what we should be about. But actually, that as, as important as it is, doesn't capture uh, the kind of enough of the audience. Uh, and that's one way we can talk to people. Reducing carbon is super important, and we will always be that will always be part of us, part of our mission. But it's also about okay, what kind of society do we want to get? So suddenly there's this kind of okay. There's stories about actually, do we want to invest in companies that promote gambling or is it about investing in companies that provide sustainable, fulfilling jobs? It becomes a very different debate. And then the final part of that is around time and money and convenience, which are the three pillars that we learned to look after my bills. Those three are really kind of mass market. And those are the three where I think we'll, we'll see most cut through. And our product covers all of that, which I think is really, really cool and, and really exciting. Like that's exactly where I want to, to land this. And then I guess there's another piece around, you know, do we, do we sort of wallow in how bad it is? And it is really bad in terms of the climate crisis. We should, we need to face that, uh, it is our reality. Or do we talk about the inspiration in terms of the good things that are happening, like the ozone layer closing, uh, and also like the kind of society we can get. And I much prefer to stay in that positive side and, and try and paint a picture of that we can live thriving, amazing lives across the world with just a few key changes to how we live in terms of where we put our money and in terms of things like our diet. It doesn't, it feels like it takes a lot, but when you actually do it, it doesn't take that much. And that means our future is so much more uh, inspiring than the one that's currently being told, you know, the default one that we're going to get. You totally, I, I think. You know, finishing on that, that, that note there, the inspiration is, is probably what grasps me the most when I hear you talk and I see your content. It's the inspiration of having that climate that is there for future generations. Um, and just touching on what you said there about the health of my bills and, and why perhaps it was so successful. Um, I was a customer for health of my bills. And the fact that you can literally give this, this software, whatever, whatever you call it, the business, your bills, and you have, you have to worry about it. You get the cheapest possible bills for your home you can also i'm pretty sure you can also click a go green option on there could you yeah okay, so you can have green yeah, you i know can. all my bills are going to be green and it's also done for you i think yeah i mean time money and, and efficiency it's just it was just sorted wasn't it it's such a shame that it's i don't is it there anymore it's not quite running at the moment is it because there's obviously a crisis yeah. of energy but yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first, great to hear you were a customer. That, that's awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, so look after my bills, as you said earlier, got sold to Go Compare, and then Go Compare got sold to Future PLC, which is, I think, where our paths first crossed. Exactly. And um, I just got the feeling. I mean, I don't know because I wasn't in the in the decision room by that point. But I just got the feeling they didn't quite know what to do with look after my bills, which is fair enough. You know, massive media organisation, and you've just sort of or as a byproduct, this auto switching platform, yeah. what they really wanted was, was go compare. And yes, yeah, so currently it's not, it's not live. They're not switching customers. And I think it's, they're kind of morphing it more into a go compare style platform. So, mm. you know, the customer goes on the site and switches and then has to do that each year. Whereas actually I think 
there's a really interesting opportunity, which is we just do it for you. Yeah. Like customers get it's not rocket science. They want to be better for the planet, but there's a lot going on and they want to save money. Well, we'll just do it for you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Do it for you. Services are sometimes the best, aren't they? It's perfect. Especially if you've got to pay for it. That's one of the amazing, amazing things about the offline business. If I remember correctly, you didn't, you didn't pay mm. anything at all, did you? Yeah, it was a free service. We made our money when, when a customer switched, we got a commission from the provider. Incredible. So going back to Mother Tree, do you, you know, the moment you're looking solely at banking, do you see it growing into other sectors where you can, you can, you can make a bigger impact on the, the environment? Absolutely. So there's three, three parts of Mother Tree. The first is the money carbon calculator that's live. It's on the website and you can switch your bank and, and pension. Um, but through talking to customers, we're developing other pieces. So the second is the climate challenge, which is actually what this thing started as. And that's, that's a community. That's a way to just discover other ways to go green. And we go deep on, on banking and pensions, but we also look at diet and mm. how to influence others and those pieces. That, that community is five challenges, five days, maximum 30 minutes a day. So it's really built for busy people, um, but who want to make a step. And then the third thing we do is called the green living service. And that's where we look at every possible purchase decision, which there's about 32 in our lives. And we look, how can we save this customer money? How can we save them? How can we reduce their carbon footprint? And ultimately, how can we save them time? And within that service, um, we save customers an average of 40 hours in terms of research. We save them uh, about about 10 tons on average in terms of carbon reduction and we save three thousand pounds a year in terms of yearly savings so that's the service i think we'll end up doing long term but you know we are absolutely iterating on this and we're asking customers does this thing work if not is it a tweak or is it a big jump but yeah that's uh that's where we are currently it's so cool because you know i'd love to see your numbers on on the amount of tons of carbon you've saved already because it will just be going up and up and up and in our business we're really big on you know the whole csr and doing doing whatever we can so i'm i'm really a big fan of um buy one give one one tree planted we use instead of google we use a kosher it's all these different things you could do and you know I, I don't think it's greenwashing in the same way i know i'm not planting the trees but but we're having trees planted for us in different certain areas and that kind of thing and i think you know there's so many like you say there's so many purchasing options why would you not make the, I guess I call quote unquote, the right one and, and go green, especially in this case where we're talking here, where the price difference is, is negligible, if at all. Um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, often we're finding the green choice is the cheaper choice. This is the really, this is the really interesting thing. There's a kind of green premium myth. Uh, and I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. One is in banking. So the, the greenest bank, uh, is Triodos mm -hmm. and the most sort of heavily investing in fossil fuel bank is Barclays and Triodos has outperformed Barclays on interest rate every year they've been in the UK. Wow. So, you know, it like, it pays to go green. And then the second is on, on pensions. So if you look at kind of default pension and, uh, like an, I guess you term it ESG pension within the same provider, we've done a lot of analysis on this and we think there's about a 15%, um, uplift by going to the ESG pension over the last five years, especially make more money, put more money to places that do good. Uh, seems like a, a decent deal to me. So again, we're going back to the same point as earlier, where it depends where you get your news from, which is where you're getting this information to understand what the problems are and why they're not being solved. 
it's super interesting. And so as the business grows, you've probably already got your, you know, a team and you're going to grow the team. How do you manage or how do you, what are your tips for delegation? Because obviously you spoke earlier about your, your tips of productivity and therefore you're managing your own time. You're picking out your own high value tasks. How do you then delegate? What are your tips for delegation? Yeah, well, we've got an amazing team uh, in place. So we've got a COO called Craig Wallington, who's, who's absolutely incredible, joined us in December and has really gone deep on the data side. Um, and we just brought in an engineer who, who's worked at Google, Adam Alston. So really pleased with how the, the team is shaping up. And obviously the funding's kind of helped unlock that. Uh, and, and I'm kind of really keen to get world-class people in and then give them the conditions to be their best. Which is a, is a, I don't know if you've heard of Warren Gatlin, the Welsh rugby coach, uh, but he has this he has this story of when he inherited the Welsh team when he joined the Welsh team. You know they were rubbish. They were kind of bottom of the Six Nations. couldn't couldn't get any worse, and com- and the players were complaining that they even had to pay for coffee after training. So he was like, Look, just tell me all your shit. Tell me everything that's wrong with what's going on, and then within about a week he'd fixed it all. And he said, now it's on you. Now it's on you to perform. You've got no more excuses. And he's Wales' most successful ever coach. And I really like that approach. So I'll work, you know, with Craig and Adam about how can we set the conditions to do that. And then the second thing is, is trying to agree what the end goal is. So getting really clear, okay, this is what we want to achieve. But accepting, I'm almost certainly not the person who knows how to get to that actually it's the person is the expert who's going to do it it's the person i'll call it delegating or, or working with or you know i'm humble enough to know i'm definitely not the smartest person in the room but i want to employ the people who are yeah. um and then empower them to be to be their best that's that's kind of how i how i see my role that is, is so it's you hear it over and over again that people you know they're not the smartest in the room but actually having the the nous to to know that and to act on it is the, I think, the, I think the sign of a, a, a really great leader, um, you know, to not have the ego to say, I need to be the best. I need to be the fastest, the fittest, the cleverest, the, the answer to everything. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I, I yeah. wanna... And I tried that in my twenties. I tried that in my twenties and I burnt out. <laughs> like, I got a lesson from life, but this isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What I want to touch on um, really now is, is pressure. So, um, you know, we all, we all suffer with pressure. We all got a lot of pressure on our shoulders as business owners. And, you know, everyone, even if you've got a job or whatever you're doing as sportsman, there's always pressure in our lives. Um, how do you deal with pressure? What, what's, what are your tips on pressure? Obviously, you've got the business, you've got uh, family, you've got investors. What, how do you deal with pressure? What are your tips? So it's going to sound slightly glib, but I love pressure. Okay. I love it. It's one of the things that really gets me going. So, and, and really I think about it in terms of responsibility. And so from a family perspective, you know, yeah, I was, I was nervous about having a child. Like I didn't know what that actually meant. No, you know, you see parents, no one can really convey what that means until you live it. But I, I accepted I wanted that responsibility and it is an amazing responsibility. Like I absolutely love spending time with, with my son. Um, and I, I think in the same way on the business side, before I took on the investors, I was drifting a little bit, like without having that kind of external pressure, 
I didn't have the real drive to be like, I really want to make this work. And actually having, having taken on, as soon as the first investor came in, who was Henry Dezout, my old boss that looked after my bills, it was a different game for me. Cause I was like, this is a team now and I've got responsibility to do the best I possibly can with, with someone's money. Like I want, I want that pressure that gives me the kind of grind to go to every day. Do you know what? I think a lot of people will resonate with that. I certainly do. Um, I think people, they, 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 they like to say that they've got their own enough, enough drive on their own, that stuff will get done, but there's a very big difference between stuff being done and moving forward and implementing as you touched on earlier and actually having that almost killer instinct to say, this is going to work. And I feel like I'm very similar to you in that, in that regard where I can get stuff done, but if there's a bit of pressure or even a lot of pressure, it gets done a hell of a lot quicker. And that's Pareto's the law, isn't it? If you give yourself a timeline, it will get done however long the timeline is. If you give yourself four hours, the task will be done. Give yourself four weeks, it will still be done, but in the same, the same time. I think that's, um, I think that's a really good way of dealing with it. Do you have any, any sort of things you do if it's getting too much? How, how do you recognize it and then act upon that if pressure does start to rise? So normally it's my wife who spots it. <laughs> really? <laughs> she'll, she'll call it out. And look, you know, at times it does, it does get too much, but I think there's one, one is having the self-awareness, or at least the wife being able to say it, but having the self-awareness to say, yeah, I need a break. Mm. Like I need, I need a bit of time off. Um, and that's totally okay. That is, is important and healthy to take that time. Uh, and then I think it goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier. So regular exercise, you know, meditation, getting time with, with mates and, and just having time away from the work is super important. Uh, and just finding that balance, which is, is really hard to get right. Right. I almost never get it right, but you're constantly adjusting. And sometimes it's, it's the wrong side and the wife has to tell you, okay, it's too much. So it is a journey, but, uh, yeah, those are the things that, that are in place. Excellent. Really nice. And, and just moving on from that, then that makes complete sense. And I think a lot of that has, although the impact is from your environment, something that we're really big on is how does your environment impact your performance? So for you, you know, I can see behind you now, for those listening, Dan's got a very nice, I would say minimalist background. You've got white walls, a nice uh, grey wooden door and some lovely house plants, which are looking very much alive. How does your environment, you know, your work environment, dictate how, how you perform? Uh, I love that description. <laughs> I'm glad the plants are alive. Uh, it's, it's really important. Like the, the energy you get from a place it is crucial to, to performance. And I'll just give you kind of one example. So we've recently moved, we moved in January, you know, two months ago and the environment we were in before that, our, our landlady landlord lived below us and he, he started to become senile and was just becoming really starting to harass us in our space. Mm -hmm. Like he'd forget what he promised. He'd, he'd come in with different, different things each day in terms of what we needed to do. And it starts to take its toll. Like you, you, the energy of that space changed within, within a few months. And we realized, okay, we got to move and we, and, and we moved to this place and already, you know, my wife and I, we now each have a room for our own office. She also works at home. Whereas before I was working in our bedroom, uh, it's just a totally different mindset. You know, it's like, okay, this feels more professional. Therefore, I'm starting to act more professionally. Uh, it's really important, the environment that we're in. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example, isn't it? You know, 
you know, more professional, but I mean, you, you feel more professional. And you've probably, you've probably come across more professional as well, right? So in terms of what is it in your room now that's making you feel more professional? Is it just because of the, the layout? Have you got a, you know, a nicer desk? Have you got a different setup? What have you, what have you done to make those changes? I'm really digging in here. Yeah, uh, I mean, love the question. Never been asked this before. Um, so there's a balcony in front of me, lots of, lots of natural light, super important. Um, lots of plants, like I love that kind of green space. Mm. Definitely minimalist. Mm. I've literally got a, um, it's not a wardrobe. What would you call that? A shelf, shelving unit. (laughs) Mind blowing, shelving unit. And then it's definitely not a wardrobe. Uh, And then just books, that's it. That's all I've got. So it's really, you know, there's not much. Uh, And then there's only one thing on the wall and that's this kind of, um, I think you call them a a, like mood board or something, but it's basically like people that I aspire to in different ways. So like Warren Gatlin's up there because ah, of how he works at the Welsh team. You know, Michael Jordan's up there because he's challenged himself to be the best every day. You know, Michelle Obama's up there because she really listens. She really values kindness. Yeah. So it's just like people that I want to, people that I aspire to is up on that board. And, and I can see that when I'm at my desk. So it's like, okay, this is the type of, person that I, I want to be. See, that's why I asked the question. It sounds weird, but I've just discovered something that's really interesting. So we had um, Ahmad on recently, and he has um, something on his wall that he makes every year. It's like a concept board of um, where he wants to be, what he wants to achieve in that, that year. And he makes it into art, and he looks at it, and it, it reminds him of where he's going, all the different things he's thought about at the beginning of the year. And he showed me, and it's beautiful, but for, to me it means nothing, because there's no words on it. It's just things that he knows what they mean and where he's going. So, you know, that, I think this is a very similar wow. thing, right? It's just, it's almost affirmations, but you know more than anyone else knows why those pictures are up there and what they represent to you. I think that's really powerful. I'm glad I asked. Yeah, a really interesting question. <laughs> Dan, I'm going to move on to some quick thoughts. So the first one is I would love a book recommendation from you. Yes, uh, uh, Seven Habits by Stephen Covey. Oh, okay. Number one book. Read it every year. Uh, it just it just has so much gold in there. You prefer that? You know, begin with the end in mind. You prefer that to Atomic Habits? Or what was that? Yeah, so Seven Habits is the one that, that I return to. And, and you know, even, even going for Mother Tree, massively influenced by Seven Habits, one of the principles is, one of the habits is begin with the end in mind. And it's like, okay, well, what? you know, on my deathbed, what do I want to be known for? And then suddenly all the decisions get easier in terms of what do I do now? I I think that's, I've heard that before. I think it's really quite a powerful philosophy to live by because, you know, no one, no one's going to remember you for the money you had or a lot of the decisions you made, but they will remember you for a legacy. And I mean, like not 10 years after you die, I mean, like, I think we got very briefly cut off there, Dan, but we'll move on anyway. My next question for you is how do you stay motivated? Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, the mission for me is super duper clear. Like I talked earlier about my two-year-old son and the fact that the climate crisis is the, the biggest challenge we've ever faced. Those two things, the things that get me up in the morning and then, you know, absolutely love working with, with great people. They, they give me energy. So, you know, I constantly want, constantly learning from them, 
love building things with teams. So that, that is also a big part of it. But yeah, the main thing is the mission. The mission is the thing that, that keeps me going. And I think coming back to the, the 95 year old that I met while doing, a, while doing the charity, it's, it's ultimately about that purpose. Why are, we, why are we here on this earth? I really like that. And we're both, you know, subscribers to the, the Dent Method, Daniel Priestley, if anyone's heard of him. Um, and they always talk about find your passion first. And then if you, if you possibly can turn it into a business that will sustain your, your lifestyle, because it's just so much easier to, to work on your, your mission if it's something you're truly passionate about. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's really, really cool to hear you talk about that. Uh, my next sort of quick one is how often do you change or adapt your environment to suit your needs? Another one that, uh, you know, we might throw up some nice, some nice answers here. Don't worry if not, if you don't change your environment, we've had that before as well. <laughs> I mean, the big change was in January when we, when we moved house. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I do tend to sort of, once I'm settled in that place, just, just crack on and there'll be very few changes. But for better or worse, right? Like, I think it is healthy to mix stuff up, but I probably, in truth, I'd probably wait for my wife to say it's time for you to change the environment. <laughs> and, then, and, then we'll, and then we'll sort of work on it together. But yeah, not, not as often as I should, I think is the quick answer to that. I think it's a good answer though, because actually perhaps you found something that like you said, is really working for you. And therefore you don't need to do that, that audit or that change the environment because it's suiting your needs now. And it's, you know, your performance is obviously as if where it needs to be. So that is, you know, I think that's a perfect answer really. Um, my next one, I know you prepared for is a quote that inspires you because not everyone has this kind of thing to hand. I, I, I am glad that you, you dropped me an email this morning saying, make sure you got a quote ready because I'm not one for remembering quotes. And I, I suspect maybe I should be having reflected and, you know, you realize lots of, lots of sort of successful founders have quotes, just they can pull out of their sleeve like that. But so there's, there's two, one is, um, so I grew up in Swansea and when you get the train to Swansea, you get off the platform, walk, walk through the station and on a pillar, the sort of last pillar you walk past as you leave the station, there's a quote by Dylan Thomas, the, uh, I guess he's the kind of famous son of Swansea, but it's he who seeks rest finds boredom. He who seeks work finds rest. And that stayed with me since I was about 18. And it, it's kind of, you know, I used, I used to be one who, who, who lived for, uh, you know, those trappings of youth, drink and women and sport and all of that, all of those things but never really found true fulfillment in, in doing that. And it's only when I really commit to projects that I'm genuinely passionate about, do I find a sense of contentment and, and balance. And I think that, that quote really sums it up. And then the one, the one I had to write down and, and has been with me for a couple of months now is, is a Martin Luther King Jr. one, which is the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And wow. I want to be someone who, you know, stands up during the climate crisis and say, says, you know, I played my part. Yeah, exactly. They're both powerful. And it's cool. That, you know, the first one's got real meaning behind it in your life. And the second one is super powerful. I think that's really nice. So you did have two quotes. You have to remember them now and carry them forward with you. 
Well, the, the first one I remember, I just don't always get the quote right. It's kind of how my, my mind works. The second one I had to write down, but has, has been on my phone. I got a list of quotes on my phone that I just note, you know, something inspires me, I put it on the notes. Uh, yes. And the Martin Luther King Jr. one sits at the top at the moment. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's awesome. Dan, if you had a full free day, how would you spend it? It's a brilliant question. <laughs> I mean, being sort of slightly brutal, I'd probably work. <laughs> probably spend like half of it working and half of it with my wife and son. Ideally, ideally somewhere hot. It'd be nice right now. Nice. Uh, bit of sun, you know, maybe by the seaside and yeah, a few hours extra work would uh, is always appreciated at the moment. Exactly. Well, exactly. And, you know, a combination of family and your on your mission, your passion. Why not? It's perfect. You've got both all, all, all tied together. Brilliant. Have you got one piece of advice or something that the audience can ponder? This would be really cool if it was to do with your mission, actually. You know, people are not that aware. Our listeners may not be that aware of, you know, the amount of carbon their bank account is, is generating. Do you have something they can they can think about as they're uh, as we're coming to the end of this podcast? Yeah, and I think it brings us full circle. Which, and exactly as you said, Freddie, it, it's you know if you've got a bank account or a pension, then you have far more skin in this game than you might realise. Definitely worth checking out. Is that bank account funding fossil fuels? Is it funding? Uh, tobacco or is it going to places that you genuinely want to support and creating a, a future that you want to fund it's really easy to find out you know uh, hopefully use mymothertree.com but uh, <laughs> there are other places there are other places that don't go into as much detail or as much personal detail uh, that you can also look at people like um, bank.green will just tell you overall if a bank is, is sort of good or not but definitely do that research Definitely go to mymothertree.com, I think is, is what we're saying there. Dan, what have you got coming up next? What's the next big projects and the next steps for My Mother Tree going into uh, you know, the Q2 of 2023? Yeah, the big thing for us is developing the Green Living Service. So our mission is to make it as easy as possible for people to go green and save money. And the Green Living Service aims to do exactly that. So, you know, we spend a lot of time understanding... Um, well, not a lot of time. We spend about an hour understanding you, your values and your budget. And then we line up providers who fit those values, save you money and reduce your carbon. Uh, so it's, it's, that's where we see the growth of this company. So yeah, that's Q2 focus. That's awesome. Really, really cool. I can't wait to see, see where it's going to, where it's going to end up. That's uh, that's really cool. Um, where can people find you, Dan? You've already mentioned mothertree.com. Can they, where, where can they get more of your content? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn is the best for content. So yeah. Dan Sherrard Smith. I don't think there's two versions of me. So type that in and, and you know, add me, follow me, all that good stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, mymothertree.com. Sign up to the newsletter. You'll hear, hear sort of how that's growing as well. Perfect. That's brilliant. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, all the best for the rest of your year. Thanks, Freddie. It's been a blast. <laughs>